All right, let's uh, stand if you would. If you want to take your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're glad you're here tonight. And uh, Brother Robbie, good seeing you here tonight. I heard you were not feeling well, but we're glad you're here tonight. And uh, we're praying this evening God will just encourage all of our hearts. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to congratulate some of my good friends, Brother Arnold and Rose Mercado, who celebrating 37 years of, of marriage. They're praise the Lord for that. And uh, it was encouraging them. We, I got married the same year as they did, so praise the Lord for that. You hope you get a chance to congratulate them. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. Say amen if you're there. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from, his pre- from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in all his saints and to be admired of all them that believe, because their testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Second Thessalonians, I hope for starting tonight you don't miss any of the services we'll be preaching from. Uh, we're going to get pretty heavy into some aspects of, of, of prophecy, and especially in chapter 2, there's some good stuff there on prophecy that will help you understand some things about the Great Tribulation and the personalities in the Great Tribulation. And we're going to get into a little bit of it tonight as we look at uh, a, a, part, a, a portion aspect of prophecy dealing with the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ here. And some of this will be a prelude to some other pastors we'll be preaching from. As uh, Lord willing, I hope in, in, 2000, in 2020, they'll be preaching through the book of Revelation, their Sunday morning, Sunday night, and just kind of help us get an understanding of prophecy and the things pertaining to that. Now, leading into tonight's study, remember last week, verses 1 to 4, Paul was commending the church at Thessalonica for their, for their spiritual growth. And in verse 3, one of the key thoughts he said, he said, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is me, because your faith groweth exceedingly. We spent some time talking about the elements of a growing faith and the importance of a growing faith. Tonight, we take that. And we, we're going to see a, a, a body of believers. And one of the things we said last week about, about spiritual growth is that uh, one of, the things, one of the, the, uh, things that God uses to help us grow is He places trials and sometimes suffering in our lives. And they're not very, they're, sometimes they can be very difficult. And, uh, but God uses that to help grow us in our faith. And we're going to see some things about that tonight as we look at verses 5 to 12 from God's working in our lives. But the key thought I want to give you tonight is found in verse 5. And there in verse 5... The Apostle Paul talks about the judgment of God. Now, the whole message is not going to revolve around judgment per se, so don't get nervous about that. But it does help us understand that the judgment of God, how this pertains to these believers and uh, some things they need to be instructed about. So tonight we're going to take some time to look at that. And I pray the Lord will speak to our hearts and encourage us as we look at some of the topics here in verses 5 to 12 that will help us grow in the faith and be appreciative of the ministry of God's Word in our lives. Now, Father, tonight uh, folks have traveled a very long distance. Some have yet to go home. Some have yet to have a bite to eat. And probably the last meal they had was either breakfast or lunch, assuming they did not fast. 
And I pray that, Lord, tonight that, uh, Lord, you feed our souls. We need our souls fed, and we need to be built up in the word of your grace. I pray that you help my mind and my thoughts to be sharp. But more importantly, I pray for my soul and my heart to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Minister to the lives of your sweet congregation. I pray for your people that you love them. I pray that for your people that you give them caution. I pray that we leave tonight walking circumspectly in the things of God and being wise in the will of God. I pray that you help us not to take things for granted and to realize that Jesus is coming soon. And if Jesus is coming soon, that, Lord, we must live lives in anticipation of that coming. I think of the words of the Apostle Paul as he closed out 1 Corinthians 16. He said that, that we should love the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he used that word that we don't use much in our language today, but the word Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And I pray tonight that would be just the one word on, our, on the tip of our tongue, Maranatha. Now, Father, help tonight. There are new believers here tonight, perhaps those who are not very well-versed in the Scriptures concerning prophecy and judgment and and uh, and the comforts of God, Lord, work through all of that tonight to give us understanding. As we try to weave all of this together and be a blessing to your congregation. We pray for these things of you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. All of God's people say, "Amen." You may be seated. Second Thessalonians is written to give us four things. Number one, it's instruction for faithful living. If you stay at the Christian life long enough. You're going to find yourself distracted at times. You're going to find yourself at times getting to the place of being complacent and just kind of moving along and going with the current. And if we're not very careful, we can find ourselves, as we saw last Sunday morning preaching through John chapter 21, the life of Peter, we can find ourselves slipping in our Christian life. As we study the Word of God, we find there are many good believers that were walking with God and living for the Lord, but they were slipping backwards. And tonight, as we look at 1 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we are going to be reminded of chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, the importance of faithful living. And that's really important for us because we believe in the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Imminent means this, that we believe He could come at any moment, that Jesus Christ could come right now. And if Jesus could come right now, we want to be found ready and waiting. And so that's, that's important. Secondly, the Bible, that this uh, book, book was not only written for faithful living, but this book was written to tell us what will happen in the future. You know, one of the things that you can rejoice in about the Lord Jesus Christ, about being saved, we know what's going to happen in the future. Amen? We have it written in the Word of God. You don't have to be worried about the future. You don't have to be stressing out and being anxious about all these different types of things. I mean, I realize that we got, there, sometimes we get anxious about blood test results, and we get anxious about doctor visits, and we get anxious about all these kind of things, and, you know, you know bad news and all stuff like that. I understand that we get go through that, and we're going to deal with some of that tonight. But we know how the future will turn out. We have an understanding. And my prayer is that it's important as a Christian that you're well-versed in the matter of what we call eschatology or about things to come. Because by understanding some of these things, you're able to more... How should I say this? You, you're able to engage people in conversations who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and to help them understand the importance of getting saved. I was sharing, I think, earlier for those who just came in late, one of the prayer requests we had here tonight was a, a request that Andrew Duenas, who recently got baptized and will be joining our church, uh, asked us to pray for us. Her brother-in-law, Joe Avery, and she put that prayer request on, I don't know, about seven or eight weeks ago. 
And we've been praying for Joe, and while she stopped at the door just a few weeks ago to shake my hand, I said, hey, Andrea, I said, now, I'm a little bit different kind of pastor on this. I said, even if there are people out of town, I want to know where do they live, and can we get someone there to visit them and get the gospel? I tell pastors, whenever I get a chance to preach out, I tell pastors or congregations, if you know somebody or you have a relative that lives in the Bay Area, and they're not already attending our church, let me know. I'll visit them. I'll send one of, one of our men to visit them or, or families to visit them. They're in hospitalization. Call us up. Let us know. Well, I, I found out that Joe lived in the, in the Fort Worth area. And we have a good, very, good, very, uh, very good pastor friend named Pastor Tyler Gillett. He pastors Worth Baptist Church. Worth Baptist Church is where Dr. Raymond Barber pastored for many years. Dr. Barber's preached in our church. Great, elo- eloquent man of God. And so I called Pastor Gillett up. I said, Pastor Gillett, I said, uh, if, you, if you can, can you or one of your men go by and I told him the hospital name? Can you go by? Actually, it was Baylor Hospital. I said, you can go by Baylor Hospital, visit him. Man, lickety split. got one of the staff members out there. First time he went there, he got to the man. The man was unconscious, could not talk to him. But the second time was either Friday or Saturday. And, and the staff and I were down in Long Beach at a conference, and Pastor Gillett was one of the hosts of the conference there. And uh, Pastor Gillett and I had a, few, a moment to talk for a few minutes after the, after the conference. And he said, hey, Pat, Brother Fong, he said, I just want to let you know, I'm going to try to get a man down there to visit him. And one of my staff goes got there. And he got him there Saturday. I think it was Friday or Saturday. He got down there to see them. And, 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 and Joe was very alert. He got the gospel to them. And then we got the announcement yesterday from Andrea that, uh, that uh, Joe passed away. Now, I hope that Joe got saved. I don't know if he did. I'm not going to prejudge anything. I hope he got saved. Saved. I hope he had uh, that he heard the gospel that he that he trusted Christ after he heard the gospel. I don't know, but I'm thankful tonight that at least we had the opportunity to get the gospel to him. We just don't know how much time we have. We know how the future will turn out. Hey, we know that it is appointed men once to die, and after this is the judgment. So we know there's a future, and we know how the future will turn out. And as a Christian, you can be excited about the future. You can be positive about the future because we know how it's going to turn out. There's a third thing. We the Second Thessalonians teaches us uh, gives us good understanding about unfolding prophecy. Now, I may say some things on Friend Day out of this passage of Scripture and uh, that I think will be helpful. I think it helped me help me unsaved people to recognize the urgency of getting saved because there's some good things here. And we're going to see unfolding prophecy. I want to call your attention to another thing. I, I, I want you to notice if you'll read 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, I may take some time in, a, in an upcoming message uh, on verses, probably verses 13 and 14, and talking about uh, especially verse 13 because verse 13 is taken out of context by happier Calvinists. And I may take some time to take some of these, these what we call these problem passages that are taken out of context to where a lot of hyper-Calvinists uh, use as their position to uh, talk about election and predestination, things like that. And if you don't read verse 13 correctly, if you don't read it within the context of how it's written, you're going to think that that's talking about, about, uh, about predestination and uh, of a person's soul and things of that nature. And that's not what it's talking about there. And we're going to help clarify that. We're going to help you see some of those verses of Scripture and help you clearly understand how, how to rightly divide the word of truth. But we're going to see 2 Thessalonians 2. Man, we're going to see some things there about unfolding prophecy that are just, on some, on some, for some of us, might make your hair stand up. And for others of us, it's just going to make us just be more diligent about winning souls to Jesus Christ. And then I want you to notice something else here. As we go through 2 Thessalonians, we're going to find out, especially tonight, it was written to encourage suffering believers. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but as time goes along, we're realizing you know, that you know, a lot of news gets filtered. And we don't hear a lot of things that happen in foreign countries, but you know, in a major part of many foreign countries, there are believers worshiping God just like us, but they're suffering. They're going through persecution. They're going through some tough times. I'm of the belief, just because I've talked to enough missionaries around the world, you know, sometimes we think in our Western way of thinking that there, there are places in the world where maybe the gospel's not heard, and, and that may be very true, and that's not to negate the fact that we need to get missionaries out, but God has his way because he loves the world. God will put a witness in places that we don't even know about. I mean, I was amazed to find out from Pastor Dwight 
Dwight Tomlinson of a thriving Pakistani independent Baptist work in Pakistan, of all places, with a Bible, Bible, Bible college and seminary that's thriving and winning souls to Christ. It's an underground church, underground ministry. I've got pictures that I could show you of what God's doing through that. But it's amazing. You would think, well, God, we need to send missionaries to Pakistan. Thank God God loves the Pakistani people more than you and I. He's got missionaries there. Amen? Uh, I, I've been burdened about Vietnam for many years about what's going on there. But I'm amazed. Uh, Brother Arnold Tang and, 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 and Winnie and their two sons, they were in Vietnam recently. They went to northern and southern Vietnam. And I was amazed that uh, Brother Arnold sent me pictures. Brother Lorena has a man. And, and again, we support a good missionary there, Javier Garcia. And he's got a great works he's got there in Vietnam. But there, Brother, Brother Lorena, our, my good friend up in, in, in the Philippines, guy has a man that trained under him that was with him for many years in San Pedro, went down there to this part of Vietnam, has a thriving work. There. The Tangs were there. They visit the work. They worship God there. Brother Arnold texted me this message. He said, Pastor, he said, I just want you to know, they preach the Bible just like you preach the Bible. He says, he says, they got a choir and they have music just like we have music. He said, the church is on fire for God. He says, Monday through Friday, just because it's a missions related church, they teach English and a number of things like that Monday through Friday. I mean, it's an underground work and you can't find it. It's, it's, off, it's off the grid. Amen. You know, I mean, you can't find it and you can ring the doorbell there, but they're not going to open the door for you because they're going to check you out, make sure you're not a, you're not a police officer coming there to close them down. And I'm excited about things like that. God's doing things like that. But I'm going to tell you, some of these believers are suffering. Some of them are under persecution. You pray for our, you pray for every missionary on that list who's in a restricted access nation. They're going through suffering. They're going through some tough times there. And we want to pray that God will give them grace to help. Now, these believers here at Thessalonica, they were suffering. And we're going to see some things that God did for their lives. So tonight, would you notice in verses 5 to 12, just for time, there are three vital truths that are woven together in this passage that will help you and I to understand what is God doing in the future. What is God doing for us now, and what is God doing in the future? Would you notice number one, point number one tonight in our Bible study? I want you to notice the revelation of the Son. The revelation of the Son. Notice again verses 7 to 10. It says in verse 7, To you who are troubled... Rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now notice that. You want to underline exactly what it says there. It speaks about the Lord Jesus being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now we spent some time, I'm not going to go over it tonight, but we spent some time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 and talking about the rapture and why we know we're pre-trip and uh, we're not post-trip and why we're not mid-trip. And why we're not partial rapture or any of that, or, or pre-wrath rapture as they call them. We believe in the pre-millennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's for His church. That's for you and I. And we spent some time on that. If you need to, yeah, if you're just not up to speed with that, uh, we'll send you the notes and get you up to where on the podcast you can find that. Tonight, I want you to see the second part of His coming. This is called the second coming of Christ, or the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice again that phrase in verse 7. When the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven. Now, quick. The second coming of Christ generically speaks of two stages of his coming. Stage number one, we call that the rapture. We call that the blessed hope, Titus 2.13. Okay? The rapture involves who? God's people. Amen? If you're saved, you're going up in the rapture. Thank God for that time. If you're not saved, if you're not sure you're saved, if the rapture happened today, you'll be left behind. And in my message, probably in a two, one or two weeks from now, we're going to talk about what happens to people who are left behind. Let me tell you this tonight. You don't want to be left behind. You want to go up, okay? Because if you're left behind, it is not very good, the things that will transpire. But thank God it's called the blessed hope. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. We're the bride. Christ comes for his bride. When Jesus comes the first time, he is feet do not touch the earth. Jesus descends from heaven. Unsaved people will not see him. 
to remember that tonight. Unsaved people will not see him. When we read 2 Thessalonians 1.7, unsaved people will see him. He will be revealed from heaven. The Bible says in Revelation 1.7, every eye shall see him. Now, who will see Jesus? We will, okay? But when the rapture comes, it will be instantaneous. It will be in the twinkling of an eye, as Paul described in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the twinkling of an eye means suddenly, it's quickly, it's a fraction of a second. It's not the blinking of an eye, it's the twinkling of an eye. It's much faster than that. So when it happens, it will be instantaneous. And then at that time, there will be the first resurrection will occur. The dead in Christ should be raised first. Their bodies will be raised incorruptible and be raised to, be, to go to heaven. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air. Now you want to remember this. The phrase caught up together is one Greek word. Caught up together is the Greek word harpazo. It means to be snatched out. It's the same word that's used many, many times in the New Testament. But probably you find it in Jude where he talks about those, uh, those, those, uh, those caught, brought out of the fire there. It means literally be snatched out of doom. Now I'm not sure and I can't put my finger on it. But I get the feeling of that, just the way that word, the wording is there, that perhaps the condition in the world for Christians, the persecution and the condition time will be very stressful, will be very, very difficult, and it will be at a, at a time when we wonder, will the Lord even come, and the Lord will descend and snatch us right, right out of this, 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 this present world into his presence, and we will be with the Lord. Now, during that time, when we get, when we get raptured, that, that will, there will follow on this earth, which we'll see next time, seven years of great tribulation. Read Matthew 24 to have a better understanding of that. Read Revelations chapter 6 to 18 to have a better understanding of that. And we'll get into more into that in a little bit more detail later. But the tribulation will be a terrible, terrible time. At the end of that seven-year tribulation will transpire the second coming of Christ. Notice again what happens here. He describes in verse 7, the Lord Jesus. Why? Now notice there, the, and, and I appreciate how the Holy Spirit did this. It's the Lord Jesus because every eye shall see him Every tongue will confess him as Lord. Every knee shall bow to him. It'll be a time when Jesus reveals himself, as we'll see in Revelation 19, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He shall be revealed from heaven, notice with his mighty angels. That is the army of heaven that will come with him to do battle. So notice some things about this. Stage number one is the rapture. Stage number two is the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? That's his coming for us. Notice some things about this. Number one, the, at the second coming of Christ will be visible. It will be visible. Revelation 1-7. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierce him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now when we look at that, even those who pierce him, there'll be, it's just a reminder to us, that it was sinners who put Jesus on the cross. You and I are sinners. We put Jesus on the cross. Zechariah speaks about them which pierced him. Notice Zechariah 14, verses 3 and 5. Way before this was written in 2 Thessalonians 1, in, Revel in the book of Revelation, Zechariah the prophet spoke some things about this. Notice he said in verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. What nation are those? All the nations of the world that have assembled themselves together to fight with the Lord Jesus Christ. These are Christ-denied nations. Now, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me or misinterpret me. I believe many of those nations will be Muslim nations. I believe many of those nations will be anti-Christ nations. I, I believe that many of them will be incorporated in what's known as the, the great, the great whore or, or, or Babylon, mystery Babylon that's found in the book, book, book of Revelation. There. But these nations will assemble together at a place called the Valley of Megiddo to fight with Jesus. Now, they're going to come with their tanks and their nuclear warfare and their, their rocket propelled grenades and all those things. Let me tell you, you're not going to hurt Jesus with that. Amen? That's 
that's not going to do anything with Jesus. Jesus is going to come, and as we'll read here, Jesus, all he does is speak a word, and he slays him. He doesn't even he doesn't need to shoot an arrow or anything like that. He just speaks the word. Why? Because God's word is powerful. And we need to remind ourselves, when we open the book and we preach the word of God, God's word is powerful. It is not impotent. It is not inadequate. It is not weak. It is a powerful word of God. And that's why sometimes you'll come to church, and God's word will be preached, and you're going to feel like just like, like Ehud thrust the dagger inside of you, amen? And you're going to feel like there's a hole inside of you when you leave. That's because God's word is powerful. Listen, the prophet Jeremiah wanted to quit the ministry. He was discouraged. He was criticized. He was slapped on the face. All these bad things happened. He said, you know, I've had it, man. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be the weeping prophet. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I don't want to preach negative messages all the time. And listen, as he was about to quit the ministry, the Bible says this. He said, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire. And let me tell you tonight, we need to be at a place in our life where every single day, every single time the book is open, every single time God's word is preached, the word of God is burning in your heart and mind. By the way, did his word burn your heart today? Is the word burning your heart right now? And so we notice right here, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in the day upon the Mount Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And Mount Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. Hey, let me tell you a good story. Years ago, Holiday Inn, when they started as a Holiday Inn franchise, before they were bought by IHG or whoever owns them, they went over there literally to the Mount of Olives to look at that as a location to put a, and put a Holiday Inn. And they were told to bring some geologists in to study the soil and all that. And this is what the geologists told them. They told Holiday Inn, that is not a good location for you to put your hotel. The hotel is, lit. they said this, it's literally cleaving in two. It's separating geologically. It's not a very good foundation. That is not a good place to put it. Well, of course it is. The Bible tells us right in Zechariah chapter 14 that when Jesus touches the Mount of Olives, it will cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and the west. It's just waiting for the feet of Jesus to touch it so it cleaves entirely. Amen? And then when that happens, the Bible says there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be moved towards the north and half it towards the south. And look at verse 5. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. Revelation speaks about the angels coming with them. But the army of heaven is just not the angels. The army of heaven includes you and I. Hey, we're coming back to planet Earth, but this time we're going to come to fix all this ecology business. Amen? We're going to fix all this global warming stuff that they're trying to fix. They're not going to fix it. That Jesus is going to fix it. Amen? He's in control of these things. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Listen, just like this, this matter about this, this, this power outage, and I don't know all the, the, the specifics on that. I don't know what the weather is about that. But I'm going to tell you something. Our God is the God of the weather. Amen? He can share he can send winds and he can stop winds. He can send the sun and he can stop the sun. He's the God that can send the rain. He's the God that can hold the rain. And I remind you tonight, as we look over here at Zechariah, our God is in control of everything that's going on right now. And he's in control of what will happen in the future. And listen, when he comes, we're going to come with him. We're going to come triumphantly with him. We're going to be coming, to, if you would, in a glorified state, coming to do battle against those who are against him. And listen, when that happens, Jesus, the moment his feet touch that ground, he's going to do judgment on this world. And once that judgment is finished, listen, then we'll enter that 1,000 year reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. All I'm saying is tonight, the Lord's coming, his second coming will be visible. Every eye shall see him. Revelation chapter 19, which you notice this. The Bible says in verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now you want to underline those phrases. His name shall be called Faithful and True. 
He shall judge in righteousness. That's a key thought in our study tonight. And make war. And then the Bible says, as it describes him, it describes him here, notice in verse 14, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white, uh, white and clean. And it says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest of the wrath of God. And on his vesture is written, he has on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now what's it all saying there? What well, coincides with everything you can do in the book of Revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ on his second coming, it will be a visible appearance of our Lord. It will be unmistakable. It will be breathtaking. It will be glorious. By the way, Jesus is coming again. Amen. Notice secondly here, it will be visible, but notice it will be victorious. He comes for one reason. He's going to conquer. Now, I'm going to tell you something tonight. God is patient. Amen. I mean, he is patient. He is long-suffering. Amen. Okay. He is long-suffering. I mean, you think about all the, the, this nonsense and these people shaking their fists in the face of God and getting angry with God and the blasphemies. And, of course, all of that will be accentuated many, many times over as we read through the, uh, through the book of Revelation during the time of the tribulation period. It will be accentuated many times over. But notice this, Zechariah 14, 12. And this shall be the plague where the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. Now, if you're looking for a good horror movie, that's a horror movie right there. Amen? I mean, right there. I mean, all he does speaks a word, and it's like a, nu nuclear, a nuclear blast. Their flesh shall wear away, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away. Why? Because you know what? These people are wicked. When we get the book of Revelation, wickedness, we don't even understand wickedness until we get the book of Revelation. I mean, the wickedness of going on that time, and the things people say, and the things people do, and the lawlessness of the world, I mean, it's just a mess at that time. The Revelation 19, we saw some of this earlier. It says in verse 17, And I saw an angel that standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together into the supper of the great God. Now what happens to the rest of the carnage? They're going to get eaten up. They're going to be, they're going to be food for the, for, the, for the carrions of the air, for the predators of the air. And he says, That ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, small and great. Now you, you think about this war, when Jesus comes, he's going to defeat all them. There's bodies all over the place. How is he going to get rid of it? Because he's ushering in his new kingdom. Listen, the birds will take care of that. God's got that all figured out. And then verse 20, and the beast was taken. Now, who is the beast? That's the Antichrist. That's, the, that's the, man, the man of sin, the man of perdition will study. The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshiped his image. Listen, every single person during the tribulation period that takes that 666 mark on their forehand, or on their forehead, or on their hand, they're... This is what's going to happen to them. They're going to be judged by our Lord, and it's going to be a terrible thing, and those who are deceived. And the Bible says all of them will be cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. I'm repeating myself with some of the things I'm saying, but it will be victorious. Christ's coming will be victorious. They're going to see him, and they're going to know that that's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the one that's ruler of all the earth. But notice something else. His coming will be visible. This revelation will be visible. His revelation will be victorious. But notice in verse 10, his revelation will be venerable. But you notice this in verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints. Now there will be people during the tribulation period that will believe, that will get saved, that will somehow survive martyrdom, 
Many of them will be Jews that get converted during that time. Those saints, plus those of us who come with him in those armies, he will be glorified at that time. Look at it again. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. When Jesus touches the earth, he's going to get all the glory. He may not get all the glory now, but he's going to get all the glory then. Let me encourage you today, in your worship of God, in your testimony time, make sure you take time to worship the Lord. Make sure he's admired in your testimony. Make sure that he's worshipped. I'm thankful today we see the revelation of the Son. But notice the second thing tonight. We see the revelation of the Son in this passage of Scripture. But notice we see the recompense of the sinners. Now, Paul wrote this, this first chapter to encourage and to exhort believers who are suffering. They were going through a di difficult time. They were despised. They were rejected. Notice some things he says. Um, he talks about here in verse 5. He talks about their patience and faith in all their persecutions and tribulations. Now, he's not watering anything down. Persecution literally means they were beaten. It means literally they were censured. It means literally they were, they were, they were made a laughingstock. I mean, they were, they were not, they were hurt, okay? And he talks about their faith and their patience during persecutions and in their tribulations that they were enduring. They were going through tough times. And then he talked about here in verse 6, he talks about them that trouble you. He talks about that. And he, and he talks about there, he talks about verse 7, them who were troubled. I mean, they were being stressed. They were stressed out. They were going through tough times. Now, you and I, our typical day, we get stressed out. Man, I got stressed out because I got stuck in traffic. Well, that's hard. Okay, I understand that. Man, I got stressed out today because my boss didn't like me. Oh, man, I had a bad day today because my cat ran out the door and ran away. Well, let it run away. Don't take it back either. Amen. Okay, let it go. Okay. Uh, man, I had a bad day because I got a migraine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But those things, in comparison to what these believers at in Thessalonica were going through, they were going through tough times. They were going through the ringer. I mean, listen, if you were in the first century, persecution meant this. Your family could ostracize you. Persecution meant this. Your family could ostracize you. You could lose your job. You could, you could, be, you could be displaced. You had to, we read about this in Peter's epistles and James' epistles. We talk about these pilgrims. They had strangers and pilgrims. They had to wander off. They had to relocate to different areas where there was, where there was less persecution. And then they'd have to find a new church and they'd have to find a new job. I mean, it was a tough time. And then if you were a slave, because in the early days, many of the people that got saved were slaves. And basically, they were the low end of the food chain and the totem pole. And basically, I mean, slaves came, hey, listen, slaves came to church bare footed they didn't have shoes i mean they had a tough time and then they were then the, the rich people came to the church and they ostracized i mean they were going through some tough time and then you think about the church at thessalonica i mean things were happening where the bible says they assaulted the house of jason we talked about that many times before they went to jason's house because they knew that the believers assembled there and they went there and they assaulted him which basically means they physically hurt him and they beat him up and pushed him down and probably broke some things in his house and then they charged him that the city charged him a fine uh, for having church there. I mean, they were going through all things, done things like that, and I think they were taken advantage of. I think they found out that you were a Christian. They took advantage of you in different ways. I mean, these people were going through very, very difficult times, and false accusations, things of that nature. And so Paul describes them as people who were troubled. And he said here, listen, I want you to understand here, God's going to take care of you. God's going to deal with them. And he wanted those believers to know God was not going to let the troublemakers get away with their evil deeds. And let me say this tonight. If you're someone 
Standing up for Jesus Christ. And by the way, how many believe tonight we should stand up for Jesus Christ? Amen? We should take a stand for Christ. I mean, we need to get rid of this kind of, this, this kind of a, a you know, back, back door approach to things. Just, we need to be bold in the face like they were. But if you're going through trouble right now, maybe you're being persecuted. Listen, God knows about that. And God, God's gonna, God, God says this, there's payback time for those who trouble you. There's payback time for those who give you trouble. And that's what Paul's saying here. There's a recompense of the sinner. He said, listen, I know you're not seeking vengeance. I know you're not seeking to hurt these people. But he says, I want you to know God has a judgment for those who are causing you trouble. So he says again, notice verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God. Part of God's righteousness is to settle the debts. Part of God's righteousness is to make things right. Now, you and I might not feel that way going through persecution, but God's going to balance the books out. He says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense or to pay back tribulation to them that trouble you and to you who are troubled, rest with us. Now, he's talking about God's judgment against sinners. The title of this evening's Bible study is The Judgment of God. Now, this is the judgment of God upon sinners. The judgment of God is being forestalled until the end of the time of the second coming of Christ. That's what he's talking about here. The judgment of God will come then. Now he's saying, now Paul lived, and those believers lived uh, based upon the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed Jesus could come at any time. When you read, when you read 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, Paul reminded them, listen, you're, you're of the day, you're not of darkness. And he says, he said, Jesus coming will be like a thief in the night, and you're to live like children of the day. You're to put on the breastplate of righteousness, and you're to put on, you're put on the helmet of salvation, and get yourself ready, and be watchful, and be sober. He told them all of those things there. He says, be ready, Jesus is going to come. But, but then he tells us here in 2 Thessalonians 1 that when that Jesus' second coming, he says, you're not going to go through all that, but he says, I do want you to know those people who troubled you, if they're still alive during that time, they will be judged by God. They're going to receive their judgment. They will get to a point where Paul talks about later on in, in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, they will become reprobate in their faith. And being reprobate in their faith means this, they will be at a place where they've heard the gospel so much that basically they've shunned it off. There's no, they have no intention of getting saved. doesn't matter how many times they've heard it, they've become reprobate. Paul talks about repeatedly through his epistles. That's a fearful thing. That's a scary thing. Reprobate, has another term for that, means to become worthless silver. Because they've lost their value. They've lost their opportunity. They kicked it away. And listen, that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop getting the gospel to people, but we must be earnest in getting the gospel. And so Paul tells these believers here, I want you to understand, there will be the recompense of the sinners. There's payback for them. Now I want you to see some things about that. Number one, I want you to see the fact concerning the judgment of God. Let me give you some definitions tonight so you're not, you don't have any misunderstandings about the judgment of God. Okay, We're talking about the fact of, of God's judgment. Listen to this. Judgment refers to God's execution of justice. Judgment refers to God's execution of justice. Now, it is his form also of taking revenge. He will take revenge for us. Judgment is the satisfying of God's holy law against those who disobey it. Now, we, we, we understand this. We understand this. Our sins were judged on Jesus Christ. Amen? Our sins were judged on Jesus Christ. Now what sins? Past, present, and future. Amen? Your sins were paid in full. It's taken care of. That's why we can read 1 John 1, 7. The blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from how many sins? What kind of sins? All sins. What is all? Past, present, future. Glory. That's shouting ground. Amen? I mean, that's shouting ground right there, that we can rejoice tonight that our sins are paid in full. Now, there's the fact of God's judgment. Paul refers repeatedly to this judgment. Notice in verse 5, he says, Which is a manifest token of his righteous judgment of God 
that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. So he calls it the righteous judgment of God. He calls it a righteous thing with God. God has his justice. Now there's this fact of it. God is a God of justice. Genesis 18, verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Study through the Psalms. The Psalms repeatedly. The psalmist, those different writers, they speak about God being a judge, okay? The Bible speaks about it many times. Hey, Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed men once to die, but after this is the judgment. Now, the disobedience of God's righteous commands are subject to judgment. We, listen, we, we need to be fearful when it comes to the matter of judgment. You should never be complacent. You should never be indifferent. There should always be the somewhat of a fear that goes through your, through your soul about the judgment of God. Now, there are several judgments I want to take a moment to tell you about tonight. We talked about the judgment of sin earlier, but let me give you some verse about that. All our sins were judged on Jesus Christ when he suffered and died on the cross. Consider Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us. The word redeem means he bought us out of the slave market, okay? He bought us out. He paid the price. What was that payment price? His shed blood. There had to be the payment price. Someone had to shed their blood. And guess what? If any human being shed their blood, it would be inadequate and insufficient to pay for the sins of the world. Amen? Your shedding of your own blood will not pay for your, will, 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 will satisfy God's judgment, but you'll wind up in hell if you have to pay with your own blood. Jesus shed his blood so that you could be set free. Christ has redeemed us. Notice this. From the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree first peter 2 24 who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes you're healed thank god tonight our sins were judged completely thoroughly and satisfied in a satisfactory way through the shed blood and death of jesus christ on the cross there's a judgment of our sin but notice this secondly there's the judgment of the saints now, at the, at the rapture, we get raptured. Immediately following that, we're going to be in heaven, and there will be what we call the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. When you read over there in John, John 19 about Jesus appearing before, before Herod and, and, and those men, it talks about him coming or before Pontius Pilate. It says he appeared before the judgment seat. If you read over in Acts where Paul, Paul is he's going through these various places, and it says we had Festus and, and Felix and men like that, and Herod Agrippa, they stood before the judgment seat there, okay? Now, he used that image, which was a high elevated seat, he used that idea, he called, it's called, it was called the bema, the bema seat in the Greek, he used that to help us understand that every believer will give an account to Jesus Christ. Now, what is that judgment we're going to do? It's not a judgment of our sins, our sins were already judged, but it's a judgment of our works, it's a judgment of what we did with our Christian life, what did we do for Jesus? Now, let me urge you tonight, listen, any Man who's a pastor, the greatest desire a pastor has for a local New Testament church is that every member of the body of Christ is serving the Lord, that every member of the body of Christ is doing something for Jesus Christ, that every member of the body of Christ is trying and thriving to be a soul winner, okay? Now, we don't have time tonight to look at the, the crowns of the believers, but look at this tonight, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Listen, when we get raptured, everything's already, it's already there. It's already recorded. And the Bible says here we're going to appear before God to give an account to receive the things done in our body according to what we've done, whether it be good or bad. Now, I wrote some things down that I want you to, to write down here. What, what is exactly going to be looking for, okay? Now, 1 Corinthians 3 gives us some insight about that because he's going to look at what kind of material we built upon. Okay? Did, we build, did we build on wood, hay, and stubble, which will burn? Or did we, burn, did we build with gold, silver, and precious stones? Now, we're, we're told in 1 Corinthians 3 that this judgment will be a judgment of fire because fire tests the matter of the work. Okay? So that's important. God will determine not only the material, but this fire will determine our motivation. 
Did we do it in the flesh? Did we do it for the praise of man? Did we do it for the glory of God? Not only is he going to do that, he's also going to test our methods. Did we compromise in our methods? Did we use methods that gave honor to man, or did we use methods that gave honor to God? Okay? Now, notice this. I wrote some things down here you want to think about. This judgment will be number one of our service. It will be of our service. Now, let me have you look up here for a minute. In every ministry, it doesn't matter what church it is, in every ministry, you've got somebody who's, who's the overseer, if I can use that term. You've got everybody who's helping to fulfill the ministry. I'll call them the servants. Okay? The overseer is the servant as well, too. And what's going to be determined is that sometimes some of us, and please listen to me tonight, okay, because some of you are in Sunday school. We're serving the club ministry. You really haven't thought about what you're going to do that this coming Friday night or this coming Sunday you just kind of show up like you're going to your regular job and just kind of see how the flow of things is and you just kind of go with the flow. Now, that's okay. But it's like I was sharing with the staff today that I, I get, read them a quote today in our staff meeting from Winston Kurt Churchill. And I look, we looked at a verse, Luke chapter 17, verse 10. And Luke 17, verse 10 speaks about unprofitable servants. You know that verse? How many understand what verse I'm talking about? Unprofitable servants, okay? Now, when you read that, that's a good passage in terms of just reminding us that when, we, when we've done what we're supposed to do, when we've done what we're commanded, we're supposed to stand before our master and just say, you know what? I did what I was supposed to do. I did what I was commanded, but I'm an unprofitable servant. What he meant by that is, is number one, I realize that I'm nobody. And by the way, that should be the attitude we always have in serving Jesus Christ, that we are nobody, amen? Let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We are nobody. I'm going to be honest with you, I would just as soon do away with any recognition and all the kind of stuff there because, listen, we're just a bunch of nobodies getting to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? But, but, the word unprofitable also means this. When he says we are unprofitable servants, it not only means that we are, it speaks about our humility in service, it also means this, because we only, listen, because we only did what was required of us. We just did the bare minimum. We were not profitable to our master. And not being profitable to our master basically means this. We didn't go beyond what was required of us, so we really didn't add value, as they would say in the secular world. And because we didn't add value, there's no profit to what's going on. So here's what happens. If you're serving the Lord, don't serve God just to show up. Serve God to make a difference for Christ. Amen? Come to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're a sponsor, one of the hardest works to do in this church ministry is to be a sponsor, especially for young people. You know why? Because there's this age differential, and you've got to work really hard to connect with them. How many understand what I mean by that? You've got to really work, work really hard to connect with a teenager. You've got to work really hard to connect with somebody who's introverted. You've got to work really hard to work to connect with somebody that just doesn't want to talk. You ever get to somebody around church, they're just like this, and you try to get a conversation, and all you can get, and you're just happy if they give you a grunt, amen, they, mm, you know, mm, mm. if they just give you that, you're just happy, amen, you know what I'm saying, you know, I mean, you have to really work at that, and then you get to some of these little kids, and little kids get really nervous around you, I've seen little kids, I get around them, they start sweating bullets, because they think I'm going to pull out a paddle and hit them, or something like that, you know, I mean, they get really nervous about things, and, and, uh, and, and, and their parents, and, you know, the parents try to encourage them to say something, I understand all that, okay, but listen, you can make a difference whether they say anything or not, you can change a diaper and make a difference. You make the baby clean, amen? They feel better by that, amen, okay? I mean, I'm just saying today, we have to understand something that we, and our, God, is, Jesus is going to judge us for our service. You say, well, I served the Lord, I was in a ministry. What did you do in the ministry? He's not going to look at you, what, you, what ministry you're in. He's going to look, what did you do in that ministry? If all you did was show up and you watch everybody else do something, you didn't do anything. You're an unprofitable servant. 
you got to get in there and do something for God. I mean, make a difference. I mean, be, you know, a greeter, I love our greeters. Our, our greeters make a difference. Our greeters shake a hand, and uh, they make people feel welcome or overly welcome, if I can say that. Amen? And I like the term overly welcome. I mean, some people will, will visit them and say, yeah, your church is really friendly. Uh, honestly, I was overwhelmed at how many hands I shook. And, you know, I'd rather them be overwhelmed by how many hands they shook than be underwhelmed by no hands that they didn't shake. Amen? You know? So, hey, God's going to judge us for our sins. Secondly, he's going to judge us for our service. Secondly, write this down. He's going to judge us for our submission. You better spend some time in Hebrews 13. Whose faith follow. He's going to judge us for our submission. Number three, he's going to judge us regarding our secrets. He's going to judge us regarding our secrets. That's found in the Bible too. Hey, fourth, he's going to judge us regarding our steadfastness. If you're an easy quitter, you have to be shuffled around because you quit. He's going to judge us according to our steadfastness. There's the judgment of the saints. Hey, listen tonight. There's the judgment of the sinners. We call that the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20. I'm not going to spend time on that. But every unsaved person will stand before the throne of God. It's a great white throne. And there, the books will be open. Everything in your life is going to be laid bare. And every sinner will see how terrible a sinner they were. And every sinner will see every opportunity they had to respond to the gospel. Maybe where a Heritage Baptist Church member left a track at their door. Someone brought them to a friend day. They heard the gospel. They're going to be judged by Jesus. And they're going to try to argue their way into heaven through those books that are open. It ain't going to work. Because you know what's going to happen? At the great white throne, every sinner there is going to be like, like in a courtroom, being, being, trying to represent themselves without a, without a lawyer, without an advocate. Listen, without Jesus Christ, your advocate, you're not going to make it that great white throne. And then he's going to, he's going to pull out the major book you need to look at. He's just going to say, here's this book of life, and I'm going to preach a message on that soon. This book of life, your name's not there. And whosoever is not found written in the book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire. That's the eternity for hell and for death. There's a judgment of every sinner. It may say tonight, if you're not saved and you refuse to get saved, you're going to stand at that judgment seat, at, that, at the great white throne judgment. And from there, God will show that your name's not in that book of life. You better make sure your name is in that book of life when you get to that point. And then notice tonight, there's a judgment of, the, of Satan. Satan, we saw in Revelation 20, will be cast in the lake of fire. By the way, this is not a judgment I want to get into, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I believe it is, did you know we will judge the angels? Did you know 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as we come to the Lord's table, we're to judge our own sins? We're to judge ourselves? We're to do that on a more recurring basis than just at the... At the, at, at the uh, at the, at the Lord's table. But I'm just saying tonight, there's these judgments there. And then notice in 2 Thessalonians 5, 1 verses 5 to 10, the judge is spoken of here. It's the judgment of sinners. Jesus is going to fight with them. He's dealing with all unbelieving and unsaved since the, time, the fall of man. It's payback time. So listen, there's the fact of judgment. Notice secondly, it's a fiery judgment. It's a fiery judgment. Fire is representative. It's a symbol of God's judgment. In verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. So what is that? Well, let's look at some examples of fiery judgment. The judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 was with fire. The judgment of Nadab and Abihu for using strange fire was with fire. God burned them up. 
250 men of renown who murmured and rebelled against Moses, they were judged by fire. God sent fire the request of Elijah to consume two sets of captains and their men in 2 Kings 1. In Luke 16, 24, we find a man who went to hell, and he said this, I am tormented in the flames. There's fire. Hebrews 12, 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. Listen, when you think about fire and the horrificness of that, just, just you need to go maybe to a burn ward to see victims who are going through recovery process, if even they're going through that, who've suffered third-degree burns. It's even worse than that. It's fiery. Notice something else. It's also fatal. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, you can't be any more blunt than that. Amen. It's fiery. It's fatal. Hebrews 10.31, it's fearful. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a judgment of God. It's a judgment of God. There's consequences to sin. There's consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior. There's consequences of not being in the will of God. There's consequences for not getting the gospel to somebody who needs to hear it. Listen, their blood is on our hands. There's consequences. And finally tonight, if you would, we just have a few minutes here. We've seen the revelation of the Son. We see the recompense of the sinner. But I want you to give you a word of encouragement tonight. I want you to go back to the, the, the main thrust of why Paul wrote verses 5 to 12. Would you write this down? There's the relief of the saved. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. Here's the relief of the saved. He said, look it. We glory, in verse 4, in your patience and faith, in your persecution and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. Notice some things he's talked about here. First of all, in verse, verse 6, verse 5, he says, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, in Colossians, Paul teaches a secret of how he prayed for the Colossian believers, which he did for every church he prayed for. And I think he prayed for all the churches. Because the Bible says he had the care of the churches on his heart. And he prayed this prayer in, in Colossians 1.9. He says, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Now, notice verse, verse 6 here. He says, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So what's the thought here? What's the relief for the saved? Number one, would you write this down? Be commendable. Be commendable. You want the Lord to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? I mean, that's what we want. Be steadfast in spite of suffering. Be counted worthy. Encourage us to stay faithful. Be found worthy, okay? Don't quit. You know, being counted worthy is like saying, you know what? I'm staying in the race. I'm not giving up. I'm staying at it. Don't quit. I think of Latimer and Ridley. Latter Midway were two, two Anglican men that uh, lived for Jesus Christ, and they were preachers of the Word of God, and uh, they, were, they were both placed at the stake. And this is the statement that, 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 uh, that uh, Latimer said to Nicholas Ridley. He said this, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. I mean, here are these two men. They're side by side on these stakes. There's wood underneath them, and they're about to set them on fire. And he said, one says to the other, let's play the man. Let's be kind of faithful for that. And I'm encouraging us tonight, don't quit. 
Don't throw in the towel. Don't get easily discouraged. Discouragement's going to come. You're going to have family members who are going to weigh you down with discouragement. They're going to rebut, they're going to rebut you every time. They're going to tell you every reason why not. But you stay faithful at it. You be faithful to God and serve the Lord. And uh, I, I want to encourage you tonight, be commendable. Be counted worthy of, of what you're doing there. Uh, remind yourself in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was counted worthy as they stoned him. In fact, in Scripture, we normally see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. In, Re in Acts chapter 7, the Bible says Stephen looked up. He looked up in heaven. He saw Jesus. Jesus, and he saw Jesus standing. Jesus stood to receive his servant. That's a wonderful thing, amen? When Jesus stands to receive his servant. And listen, if you think you're going through the ringer, you better baptize yourself in Acts chapter 7 and realize what, what Stephen was going through because that man was so filled with the Spirit. The Bible says things like this. They could not resist the, the Spirit and the wisdom by which he spoke. Every time before I come to the pulpit, I pray that prayer. I say, God, I pray that you'll help me to preach in such a way they will not resist the wisdom and Spirit by which I'm able to speak through you. I pray for that Pentecost power that, that, that Peter had when he, when he preached that wonderful message in Acts chapter 2. And you need to pray for that. When you stand before a Sunday school class, it doesn't matter the size of the class. It doesn't matter the size of the audience. What really matters is you've got God's word. You need to proclaim God's word faithfully. And we need to stand there and realize we need to be counted worthy of the, of, of the blessings of God. We need to be counted worthy of God's hand upon our life. There's a second thing. Notice verse 7. We need to be commendable. But notice in verse 7, we must be comforted. I love what Paul says here in verse 7. Would you notice this? And if you never underline this, underline this in your Bible. It's three words. Rest with us. Now you have, to under, you have to appreciate what Paul's saying there. Because I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11. I want you to understand the man that wrote that phrase, rest with us. If you're thinking you're having a bad day, you think you've got, a, you've got troubles going on, I want you to read 2 Corinthians 11 with me here. Notice in verse 23, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Man, he spoke so in a despairing way of himself. I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measures, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes. They went, hey, can you imagine me for just a minute what his back must have looked like? Can you even imagine with me if it was that? Did Paul, could Paul even walk up? Could he, was he even, could he bend, what is it, was he bent the whole time he walked? I mean, he says here, he says, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. I mean, we, we, we talk about how Jesus received the scourging. I mean, Paul got scourged. His back was a mess. It gets worse than that. He talks about his imprisonments. He talks about his deaths. He talks about his scourging. He says, verse 20, 25, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That was in Acts 14. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Man, can you imagine that? Night and a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen or the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is offended and I burn not. Listen, when you think about what Paul said here, rest with us, 
He said, I empathize with what you're going through. I empathize with your suffering, with being ostracized, of being rejected, of being discouraged, of having no job, of having no money, of hurting in your body, of being shamed, all of those things. I, I, he says, I, I empathize with that. But he said, rest with us. And all I'm saying to you tonight is we consider what Paul is saying here. Be comforted. God knows where you're at, and nobody loves you more than God does. So why need consolation? Listen, human consolation can only go so far. You need God's consolation. You need to be at peace with what God's doing there. And then finally tonight, I want you to notice this. We must be commendable. We must be comforted. But notice verse 10, we must be courageous. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired of all them that believe. And what's he saying there? Well, when we look at that, and he says in verse 11, 11 we should he, we'd be kind of worthy of his calling and all that. What we need to do here, Paul's saying this, listen, the suffering's not going to go away. The discouragement's not going to go away. The hatred's not going to go away. The rejection's not going to go away. He said, what you need to do through all this, you need to have courage. Have you done all to stand and continue to stand. Be courageous. Are you suffering tonight? Rest with us. Are you having a hard time in life? Rest with us. Are you feeling discouraged because people in your family, people around you are rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hey, payback time. God will take care of that. God will take care of that. What are we doing then? Let's get our eyes on the fact Jesus is coming soon. There's judgment coming. Judgment's coming upon sinners, but there's also the judgment of every believer. Are you serving him? Are you submission to him? Are you being a good steward? Are you, how is he going to judge your secrets? I mean, how is he going to judge your steadfastness? I mean, when we look at all those things, how is the Lord going to judge all those things? May God find us faithful when he comes. May he find us faithful in what we do.